You're listening to the Food and Fitness Podcast, the show about all things related to food and fitness. Follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at food.fitnesspodcast. We're your hosts, Jackie Vandertoon, Jessica White, and Dave Marshall. On today's episode, we're joined by Heather Hayes. Heather is the executive director of the Orangeville Food Bank, and Heather is passionate about community and has a history of being focused on the community, even as the former deputy mayor of Malmer. Welcome, Heather. Thank you so much for having me today, guys. It's really exciting. We are really excited that you're here to tell us about the Orangeville Food Bank and share your insights about food insecurity. All of us on this podcast, interestingly enough, had come together with the Compass Run for Food. So we have a passion about helping our community and helping to end the food bank, particularly in light of the pandemic that we're all experiencing. So Heather, I would love you to share with us a little bit about the history of the food bank. How did it come into being and why it came into being considering at the time the food bank was initiative, especially, you know, in, in many people consider that food banks are found in big city and Orangeville wasn't the size it was now um, when this food bank had started. No, no, this is true. So the food bank actually started in 1992. We'll be celebrating 30 years um, of, of uh, being in the community uh, next year. So it's, that's pretty awesome. And it was started by four ladies um, who saw a need in their community and decided that they had to do something to help. So it originally um, came to being on Mill Street and people started leaving food in front of a business there and, and the women would take the food inside. And at one point um, they didn't have a lot of resources. So if a family came for food, um, they would, the ladies would take the person's information and they'd run out the back door and go to the grocery store and buy the food and bring it back again. Um, so, so it truly was, a, and still is, um, a community supported initiative here. And in the 90s, you'll remember that uh, times were pretty tough. We'd come out of the 80s, um, we'd come out of a recession, and it was a, it was a really big struggle for people to manage that. And about the same time, a lot of food banks came into being. And in fact, Feed Ontario, which is our provincial organization, came to being at about the same time. We were one of the first food banks around. So it's it's pretty spectacular that we, a small um, community, came together to support the residents um, when they needed help. And, and it's been like that ever since. That's amazing. So just um, so we can get all of our educators or our, all of our listeners a little bit more educated in the food banks. Uh, what's the typical experience for someone who relies on the food bank? So it's a difficult experience. It's not it's not pleasant or easy the first time around. Um, we hope that we make it a little easier as time goes on, but it's very difficult to walk through our front doors. It takes a lot of courage. Um, and more so these days, I think, um, because I, I think our demographics have changed a little bit. But when people come, um, they can do things two ways. They can um, come through our drive-through model. We've had to change since COVID. So many of us have had to change our processes. So in order to keep clients safe and in order to keep volunteers safe, uh, we went with a drive-through model. So they come through, um, somebody will stop at the side door, um, we'll hand them a sheet and it has 80 to 90 different items that they can choose, um, including um, a sheet that's updated daily with all of our fresh produce and vegetables on it. Um, then once the order is taken, 
they drive around, um, they'll park on the far side, and we actually have a bulletin board put up there um, with interesting services and um, things that they might not know about in the community. Uh, some silly dad jokes, because I mean, who doesn't appreciate a good dad joke? Um, so, so they can sort of take a look at that and look at resources while volunteers inside will fill all of that order. And then it gets weighed on the way out of the food bank because we weigh everything coming in and coming out so that we know um, what's perishable, what's not perishable. Um, and if there's any waste, where in the system do we need to refine that a little bit? So then once that's weighed, it goes out to the people they've pulled up out front and their groceries are distributed to them. Um, they're um, able to come once every second week to the food bank. Um, and we're distributing on average about 50 pounds of food per person um, each time they come. And that's up a lot since the beginning of the pandemic because people are requiring a lot more help than they used to. And then the other option is to come in and they can have um, a seat in our lobby and um, we'll still give them the same form. We're not at the point yet where we could go back to the old shopping model which was where people came in, they got points for the food and they did their own shopping, um, but we're getting there. We're pretty sure that by October, we'll have the processes in place to open up again, because um, we think that's really important. There's a lot of dignity to shop for your own food. And one of the biggest challenges that we have here is, I don't know if you're a cornflakes gal or whether you're a Captain Crunch gal, I have no idea. The same as when I'm going through and I'm looking for, it's one of the things I hate to do actually, is shop for other people. You can hear me whining about it as I'm out on the floor um, and all the other volunteers listen to me whine because um, I'm like, how do I know? I don't know if they want the beans with the tomato sauce or do they want the beans with the molasses? Um, because shopping is so personal, you shop for, for clients like you shop for your family. But I don't know if that works, right? Do your family eat lentils? Do your families eat tuna? I've got one kid that will and one kid that won't. Um, so uh, we're really looking forward to getting back to that model. Um, and then as far as the pieces that you might need come to the food bank, um, typically we ask for something that has an address on it, where you live, um, and then a piece of um, information about your income and your expenses. At no point will that ever qualify you or disqualify you for service. What that does is it gives us statistical information so that we can go and advocate with the powers that be, the various governments of the day, to say, this is how much people make, this is how much they're paying for rent, and it's just not enough. We need to change the system. So that's why we use that information. Sounds like so much planning and so much organization. Yes, there's a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> so with privacy clearly at the front of this question, mm -hmm. um, who would your clients be? So, And do you find um, that maybe throughout certain times of the year, the demographic changes mm -hmm. uh, and has the pandemic changed the entire profile of someone who relies on the food, on the food bank? I'll tackle the first part first, which is who uses the food bank? Um, the food bank uh, individuals that access our services look a whole lot like us. So when I first started this job, um, I had been in social services for a long time, and, and I, I kind of understood that um, at various times, everybody needs a little bit of assistance. Um, what I didn't appreciate is how often I would be sitting across from somebody who looked like my parents, who looked like my kids, who looked like my neighbors. Um, that's what surprised me. And that is the, that's the hardest part when I can see family members in people, uh, in the characteristics of the people that come and use the food bank. So they come from all walks of life. Um, so we have um, sort of 
uh, an old expression we used to use um, at my old job was womb to tomb. Um, so from small people to, to older people um, who access that. One of the biggest demographics that we see is seniors. Um, seniors have taken up um, a large space in our hearts lately because we know that getting out with the pandemic is very difficult for them. We know that they have uh, transportation issues, they have mobility issues, um, that can be a real challenge. So um, with that, we deliver to those seniors to make sure that they've got access to food once a month. Um, and we take it all through the county with the help of the Shelburne Food Bank and the Grand Valley Food Bank, so that's fantastic. Um, and yeah, and so seniors make up a big part. Um, as far as the changing demographics, um, a stat we'd never followed before is um, what per, how many people accessing the food bank would identify that they owned their own home versus renting versus being homeless um, or that sort of thing. And so um, in May and June, typically that would have been about 30 people. Um, in July, that was 62. So uh, that's, a, that's a lot, that's, that's double the amount of people that are accessing the food bank right now. And we knew that this was probably going to happen during the pandemic. So because we are part of a provincial organization, Feed Ontario, as well as a bigger uh, uh, federal organization, which is Food Banks Canada, um, we knew from previous um, uh, crises in communities that there was a way that this might play out. And so that's that's coming to pass at this point. So we follow the uh, Fort McMurray, and remember the wildfires of 2016? In that particular piece, um, at, at the very beginning, there was a heavy um, resource load landed in Fort McMurray, right? They needed help, they needed food, they needed, we, we sent fire assistance, we did all of those kinds of things. And that carried on for quite some time. By the time we got to 2019, what we what they noticed was the same thing that we're noticing. Middle-class families um, who were well-resourced before the fire um, started accessing, and before the pandemic, started accessing all of those pieces that you would think you'd do, right? So first, you're going to hit your line of credits, right? You're going to hit your visas. You know you shouldn't be doing that, but what choice do you have? And from there, um, you're probably going to tap into family. Maybe you go into a second mortgage uh, to make sure that you can float the house, to make sure you still have the cars and that sort of thing. You can't give a car back once you purchase it. No loan company says absolutely no problem. Uh, so you still have to pay for those things, especially if you want to get to the next job or get the kids to wherever they need to be. Um, so then once that's happened and they've, they've blown through all of those resources, there's no, there's no catch net right after that, right? You think there is but there isn't really. Um, and then um, that's where kind of we'll, we're starting to see. So, so in 2019, their biggest need is, is when that hit them. Um, it, it was, they didn't have that financial um, resources flowing in to make sure they had the food for people. Um, the mental health needs of their clients were exploding because most people never thought in a million years you'd find yourself in this situation, or if you did, you can pull it together in a couple of months. It's going to be tough, but we got this. It'll be fine. Um, and there was just no having it, right? Like the pandemic. If you had told me that there was going to be a fourth wave to the pandemic, I would have told you you were nuts. No, no, no. You know, we've got the systems. We've got the pieces in place. We've got this. So 
that's where we find ourselves right now is uh, we're just entering into that phase where we want to make sure we still have access to the financial resources, which Compass Church has been a huge supporter of ours for years. And we very much appreciate that. Um, and we want to make sure that we've got that to continue to purchase the fresh foods um, that people are needing, um, as well as we want to get back to providing those resources. One of the things we miss in this pandemic, um, and I think we all miss it, is that human contact, right? The amount of, of people that we see at the doorway that I talk to that would just love a hug, and you know I'm a hugger way back, um, that, that want to hug, that want that human contact, that just want to come in and have a cup of coffee and have a talk, and a normal talk, not you sit over there, you know, and, and, and we'll try and keep the masks on and we're just like, anyways, we're really looking forward to, to hopefully taking some of that down um, and then being able to offer those resources. So one of the things that we specialize here is if you need um, a week of camp and you can't afford it, but you, you're desperate for that. If you, um, we've, we've found wheelchairs for people, um, we've found glasses, we've found dental care for seniors. Um, I believe that your organization was a huge part in making sure we could pay for parking for um, a family whose child was at SickKids. Um, those things that there just isn't money for. Um, that's what we do best here is connecting people to those resources and tapping some of our own to make sure that people are taken care of because it's not just food right? You've got other things on the go by the time you land here. So it's amazing. really interesting to like to hear that it is very much a community mm -hmm. like period food bank. So it's like you do, you're more than just food and that's what you said, but there's clearly two things that you're doing is feeding your community with their needs and feeding their like their nutrition that they need. So that's very nice to hear. It is. It's, um, I, it, you, most people have heard me say this before. It is the best job I've ever had because we, it's holistic, right? So many of the jobs that, that we've had in the past are, this is your lane and please stay in your lane and don't look outside your lane. And here we have to look at the whole person. What can we do to help the whole person, not just their tummies? And is this something you're doing individually as Orangeville Food Bank, or is this pretty, pretty general across the board of uh, how different banks operate? So there's no standard, consistent standard for food banks. Um, it is something that Feed Ontario, the provincial organization, is working towards um, of having um, standards of care is what they're calling them. Um, so we're slowly working towards that. Um, but there's lots of uh, programs that uh, feed people and take care of people outside of that provincial organization. So I can only really speak for us. Um, it's super important to what we do here because it's it's dignity and we truly are all in this together. We may have different resources. Some people will be less resourced accesses and need more assistance. Some people have more resources, but it's this world is complicated and hard sometimes and and we need to take care of each other collectively. So it's, it's a big part of what we do here. So I've heard you say this word a couple times now is dignity. Um, and in 2015, uh, the banner ran an article where you spoke uh, talking about uh, people shopping uh, that food model uh, in regards to the bank. And you spoke about credits, they can buy their own food. Can you dive deeper into maybe what that looks like and why it's so important 
for you to implement because you've used the word twice. And I think that's the word that you're talking about is dignity, mm-hmm. but what does that look like? And what do you see in people when they're able to do their own shot? Um, so it was really important for us to implement that. Uh, we took, we took that on in 2016 and it made a, a huge difference to what we did. It changed so many things you wouldn't have thought it changed. It changed our relationships with clients um, and, and people accessing the food bank um, because then there weren't lines anymore, right? You stay over there because you're a client and I'm going to stay over here because I'm a volunteer and then I'm just going to do a quick transfer and we'll go from there. The volunteers have always done a great job for, through the whole 30 years of taking care of the people that come through the food bank here. Um, but I wanted a model that that blended us more together. Again, the us version of, of what that could look like. Um, so I think one of the things that we learned from this was it deepened our relationships with the people that came through the food bank. The other interesting thing was at that point, we were giving out 30 pounds of food per person accessing the food bank back in 2016. When the, when the model was introduced, we actually went down to 25 pounds of food per person, which sounds like a bad thing, except it's not because people were no longer getting food they didn't need. So there's a, a misconception out of sometimes out in the public that says that people are wasting food, that, you know, they're, they're just not working hard enough. They don't care. You know, if only they would, you know, get off their tushies and just get her done. Nobody in their right mind would choose to live in existence where they didn't have enough and they always felt less than everybody else. Nobody chooses to live like that. So what happened was um, when they went, when they dropped down to that five pounds a month, it was because they didn't want to waste food. They, we hear that all the time out there. No, 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 I'm not going to take that because somebody else could use that more. I, I tell a story about a mom with a child and a, a young girl who, you know, could have been my daughter for that matter, for the age of her. Um, she was um, early 20s. They're both shopping, last two shoppers of the day. And I had five juice boxes left and the um, 20 year old put them in their cart as she would, cause she certainly could take those. And then the mom asked me, did I have any more? And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. It's something we never get here is juice boxes. And the 20 year old took them out and put them in the mom's cart and said, you need them more than I do. And I was thinking to myself, but golly, sweetie, you're 20. You need them as much as anybody does. So that's the kind of resource sharing that we see here. We swap recipes. Um, we trade um, uh, what you can do with ingredients because we get odd ingredients here and some people know what to do with them, um, which, you know, I, I'm, I'm a rel- relatively good cook, but I don't know as much as they do, which is fantastic. So I think that's the dignity piece. And all of those stories I'm telling, um, it brings home that again, if, if people had any other choice, they would not choose this. Right, none of people do. Um, Trish Ketchy, who used to be the ED of Dufferin Child and Family Services, and I had the pleasure of working under her. One of her statements was, "People do well if they can." Right, um, and they do. They do the absolute best they can in in the moment with the resources that they have. Um, and again, that's highlighted here. Yeah, it's highlighted here every day. So trans I off topic again but back to dignity um it's if you had to come here 
I want it to be um, the best experience that we can possibly making it knowing you have to come to a food bank. That part's crappy and it should never be that way. But if you have to be here, then we're going to go with the technical term. We're going to sunshine and lollipops the poop out of that so that you can, you can have a decent experience and you can feel like somebody's got your back. Um, somebody explained to us a couple of months ago, we're, we're working through our strategic plan and somebody was talking to us about that and said, um, you don't understand your family to us. You, you're, you're that important to us. And somebody in the strategic planning session, you know, tried to cover that up. And the person came back to that and, and elevated their voice ever so slightly and said, no, you really don't understand. You are family to us and you, and we're family to you. And I was like, yep, that's it. Exactly. So we're just family here. And that's dignity. You take care of your people and your people take care of you. Um, Cause again, we may not all have the same resources, but we're all fighting a hard battle every day. I can really tell how passionate you are about uh, your job and your position, because as you're talking, there's little sounds in your voice that are happening when you're, you're saying something and you know, it's not something you've, you've said before, or it's a rehearsed um, statement that you've said hundreds of times. You are very much connected um, to your volunteers and you're very much connected to your clients. And um, I would be thrilled like to have you in for an interview and be like, this is the person we need. Like you can tell that the right decision has been made to lead this organization in this area. And I'm, I'm very happy to talk to you because I'm, I'm thrilled to know that there's someone like you who's heading this organization. And I think your passion is going to trickle down to the volunteers and those who work with you. So yeah. I know we're like, we're not, we're only halfway no. through, but like, okay. I just, I have to say this now because okay. it's very obvious <laughs> that you are who you are. And I'm super thankful that you are who you are. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I try, I tend to poo poo those comments. Um, <laughs> um, it's recorded. You can't get rid of I, it now. <laughs> we can cut that just that you could. Um, anyways, uh, without the 120 volunteers, this place would not exist and I wouldn't be here without the board of directors who make sure that um, all the legalities and all the risk management and those pieces are, are overseen um, and keeping me in by the reins because occasionally Heather gets a little crazy. Uh, so it's, it's good to pull me back a little bit. Um, but without all of that, we couldn't do what we do. And then there's the whole other side that without donors, this doesn't happen because before the pandemic, food banks, are not funded by the province, nor are they funded by the feds. It is almost 100% donor funded, which in my mind is crazy because we're talking about food. It is the only right that is not taken care of by some agency, right? So housing is, wow. is owned by yeah. somebody, uh, hospital care is owned by somebody, mental health is owned by somebody, um, even our education is owned by somebody, our, our, our transportation, our safety, all of those pieces are picked up. Food is not picked up. And that to me is awful because sh food should be a right and not a privilege. And it is a privilege um, in this country. And that's not okay. So um, yeah, without, without the donors helping us out, without the volunteers on this side, without the board doing the oversight, 
um, then I don't exist. And um, so this is a group effort, um, like, like everything that we do here. Uh, we're all in this together. So thank you for saying that. I very much appreciate that. And I will pass that on to my volunteers and my board because, um, yeah, it's, it's how I'm here. So thank you. Can I dig a little further into that statement you just made? Sure. Um, so maybe is it because there's organizations like yourselves that are and other organizations within um, Ontario and different provinces that are doing such a good job that maybe it's not federally like taken care of? Is this because like, yeah, is, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, that, I do. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. We're doing a good job. Um, yeah. We, because we are community agencies that have the support of, of community members that have donors that help us out, um, that have all of these fantastic volunteers, we've got this. The problem is when we don't got it, when I have to say to people, um, so over the last six years, we've include, we've increased our milk allotments four or five times, but we pay for all of that. There will come a day when I'm going to have to say, I don't have money for that. And that really bothers me. I was just having a conversation today with it, with the um, board president and it worries me. Um, it's he, the first question out of his mouth, every time we meet, what keeps you up at night, making sure that the promises that I have made to the people that access this food bank that I can keep that worries the life out of me. And so because we do such a good job, because the community does such a good job, there's, there's not those gaping holes. There's still quite a few of them. Um, but um, the, the province and the federal government knows that some of those things are taken care of. Um, I think the biggest challenge for me is um, that's asking an awful lot of people when times get really tough. And even if there was a small amount of consistent funding um, so that we would know that maybe, maybe the rent would be paid or maybe the mortgage would right. be paid. And then all you had to do was raise the food piece or um, maybe one salary position was, uh, was paid for. Um, it is a, it, for some donors, it's a very big problem that I'm spending money on salary staff and that I'm getting paid. I'm very clear about how much I make, how much all of my, my people make. I have three staff. I have an admin person that we just hired during the pandemic. I have a food manager and myself. But without those people, the food safety, the managing this quantity of food, last year we moved almost half a million pounds of food through the food bank. You just can't do that without some consistency policy and processes and all the rest of that stuff. So my hope um, when it comes time for elections is that a small amount of dedicated funding for food banks would go a long way. We're not asking for the whole kit and caboodle um, because I think it's good for community to work together to help each other. Um, but a little bit would be really nice. And we're doing fine um, because I'm in people's faces all the time, poking and, and you know, yay team. But for a volunteer organization, maybe that, maybe that feeds the same amount of people that we do, but with no staff, like they need help. So, you know, certainly we're coming up in an election. Um, this might be something that uh, our viewers, our listeners may want to write their MPs and ask the question, what is their policy on 
how to manage food banks in the next two, four, however many years our officials are gonna be elected. So, you know, certainly we can use our power as citizens of this country to turn something that's an obvious right into an actual right. So um, that would be awesome. And throw yeah. housing in there just for fun. Because unless we, unless we manage this housing crisis, it doesn't matter how much food I can put into a tummy. Um, if you have no place to sleep and you have no place for your kids, I'm somebody made a great quote a couple of weeks ago on the, on CBC. And they said, I am putting a bandaid on an arterial bleed. And that's what we're yeah. doing. So, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm sad to hear that, but I'm, I, I love the fact that you're, you're passionate about this. And I also get the sense that you're very humble. Um, we all three of us are, are involved in, and, uh, you know, and I think we all have our reasons why we're involved in um, my hope as I always say, everybody, I'm involved with this because I want to eliminate food insecurity. I want to eliminate your job. Yes, I want absolutely. that building to be something else. So that's my mm -hmm. hope. And, and mm -hmm. I've been super privileged to serve in the mustard seat in downtown Calgary. And we had an open arms in Kenful, Nova Scotia. And I volunteered at the food bank. And, you know, you were making me think about why I did it. And I remember, so open arms in Kenfil, Nova Scotia, um, we sat down and we broke bread. We ate with people and we all prepared meals. And that was the thing we were not expected, but we were welcome to eat so that it wasn't an us and them and eliminated the stigma. Um, but I remember one of the hardest parts was when I saw a guy I'd gone to high school with and I was serving him and I was so uncomfortable because I felt that immediate us and them. And I thought, you know what, let's bridge that. And I sat and ate with him and his kids. And it was the most amazing experience. And I left feeling, you know, I left feeling blessed. And oh my gosh, like, I feel guilty because I feel this good. Mm -hmm. Heather, I'm going to ask you, why do you do this? And because I know you're so humble, why do your volunteers do this? Like, why do people volunteer and, and help our community? volunteer. I think there's lots of reasons for why people volunteer at the food bank. Um, I think one of it is, uh, or part of it is, we've got a good vibe going on here. We do things well, um, we take care of each other, and we respect that everybody has a different way of doing things, and that is okay. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think part of it is serving their community, and I think um, another part is you think you understand what the food bank does until you start volunteering at the food bank. And then all of a sudden, the systems, the processes, the people who come in here, the your neighbor, uh, we've had people come in here whose family members, and they didn't know. Um, so again, we're, we're very tight on confidentiality when it comes to working with clients and that sort of thing. But I think it's a combination of all of those things. And and back to, we're all in this together. How do I help um, my neighbor, my brother, my, my sister, my, you know, whatever. How do I help those people? Because we all want to make a difference in people's lives. Um, so I think there's lots of different reasons why people come to us. I'm thankful that, that whatever their reason is, they come with, um, with great jokes and a great sense of humor. And, and uh, we laugh a lot and we care for each other 
um, and for anybody, whether we are within the building or outside of the building, or whether sometimes our roles switch and we end up being volunteers that need food things. So yeah, I think it's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You asked me a question, I am humble, but I'll tell you why I do this. Um, food's been a big passion in my family for a long time. Uh, I'm Scottish many generations back, um, but we, gosh, we love to eat. And I had a set of parents who, um, who celebrated a different country and a different kind of food every year. And that gave you a great appreciation um, for what was out there. So, so I'm 53 now. So probably when I was 10 years old, so 43 years ago, my parents decided that they were going to learn how to cook Indonesian food. So it was an entire year of Indonesian food. And we would drive to Kitchener to get things at grocery stores to put all this stuff together. But there were also really lean years when I know that my grandmother supported us because we didn't have, she would float us food. Um, she lived on the next road over and, and she would help us out. There's also the year of minestrone soup. That was a bad year, still can't eat it to this day. Can't look at it, can't smell it. I tapped it anyways, <laughs> but that's because I have privilege to do that. But, um, and because I know that food brings people together. I know that uh, I was cooking for people when I was in high school. I cooked when I was in college for people because food brings people comfort because you share more when you break bread with somebody. Um, and it is a leveler, right? It is a leveler of, of wealth. It is because everybody has to eat. Um, so that's why I do this and because, yeah, because food is, it's just so much more than food. It is, it keeps us healthy. It keeps us whole, it keeps us whole, um, and it keeps us together. So. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. So I have a question and it's going to sound horrible and I don't mean it to um, because I, I do donate, but why should I, um, as an average person or anyone, um, donate to the food bank? And part two to that question, what is the best way that someone could help support the food bank? So why should you donate to the food bank? Because sometimes um, through no fault of anybody's, sometimes people need help. And it is by the grace of whomever you believe in that it's not you and it's somebody else coming in that front door, right? Um, we often say here at the volunteer, um, we're really lucky to be able to come in the back door and not, and not come in the front door. Um, and, and it comes with privilege as well. Um, lots of us are here because we have had a privileged background to, to find ourselves here. Um, so you donate because people in your community need you and that might be you or it might be somebody new. And I, I tell every volunteer that starts here, you will know somebody who uses the food bank when you come here and within the year, somebody will come to me and say, oh my God, did you know? And I'm like, yeah, yep, that's, that's how that goes. Um, so because food is so important, it's one of those resources that everybody needs. So I think that's why you donate. Um, and what's the most important thing for us here at the food bank is just to get involved. So 
will always need the um, non-perishables that you want to donate. We'll always need the hygiene items, the things that you don't think about, things like cleaning supplies, which are more important in a pandemic than ever. And they're like unicorns here at the food bank. Um, we'll always need um, perishable foods like the milk, the eggs, the, the proteins, the meats, um, that sort of thing. Those are really important. Um, so donate those, love those. Okay. You can donate at a grocery store. If you have perishables, give us a call. We'll meet you at the back door and we'll accept those. Um, but there's also the finance piece. Um, I make no bones about this building. This building has to be paid for. That's just the nature of needing a warehouse to hold 500,000 pounds of food. I cannot do it without a building like this. Um, we were lucky enough to purchase this during the pandemic through the help of, of several foundations and a ton of community support. We would have loved to have had an opening, but it's the pandemic, right? The best we could do was squeeze in a few people up front and do the, you know, pretend handshake. Um, but our hearts were filled with being able to do this. So a financial donation goes a long way. You can donate through Canada Helps. You can come in and see us and make a donation um, and send us something. That's fine. And then there's always the volunteering aspect. Lots of times we have long waiting lists um, for volunteers because what we do here is really fun and really good and we do it well. So you would expect that a well-run organization would have a waiting list. Um, so we've got lots of opportunities for that. So if you don't mind waiting a couple of months to get, to, to get in here, I think that would be brilliant. Um, and then the last thing that's probably the most important, um, and Jackie, you touched on this. We have an election coming up. And if we're really serious about taking care of people, if we're really serious about dignity, we need to start having those conversations at the municipal level, at the provincial level, and at the federal level. How do we take care of people? And is it enough to make promises? Or do we actually have to have an action plan to figure out how we're gonna feed people and how we're going to house people? Um, again, a, a Band-Aid on an arterial wound. If I can't, if I can't house you, and I can't provide anything else. And all I can do is give you food. It's, it's a help, but it doesn't fall, solve the problem. And if it isn't a fix, it isn't a solution. So what we're doing right now isn't a fix. And so we don't have solutions for this. So I think asking those awkward questions at the candidates debate, I think is awesome. Um, the other thing that we have here is we have a postcard um, that we've been sending out to, um, uh, to council to let them know how important housing is. I was just gonna see if I could reach under my desk and grab one. And it was really important for us that Family Transition Place, Community Living Dufferin and uh, the Dufferin Fuel um, uh, Mental Health Association came together for this. And it is, I'm gonna slowly do this so nobody gets sick. There we go. Um, so this is a housing postcard. We have a lot of them here. And if you turn this over, it says, these are my housing challenges. I can't afford rent in my community. I can't afford safe, affordable housing. I have been on a housing wait list. Some people have been on that wait list for 12 years. Um, I can't afford to own a home with a full-time job. I can't afford affordable housing in my community. Um, and you can address that. We'll pay for the postage and you can send it off um, to council because I think as much as housing is a provincial responsibility, I'm very serious that there is no problem so great that it cannot be solved. We can solve food insecurity and we can solve housing by coming together like we have in this building and pooling our resources. The builders who have the skills, the um, land developers that have the land, oh, us who have the contacts, 
We all have a son, a father, a wife, a daughter who works in construction. We all have them. Time to make those calls. Uh, and, and we also need the political will to, to come together to make this happen. It's, it's been too long that we haven't been able to solve food insecurity and housing. It's, we have to make a change. So elections are the time to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times when people make a donation, it's usually because they're cleaning out their cupboards, so springtime, <laughs> fall time, or anything like that, um, which, which is fine. I mean, that's yeah. some, mm -hmm. some of the food can come to you that way. And a lot of times yeah. uh, I think things have so slowly transitioned towards yes. um, buying at the supermarket and dropping off at the exit, which I think is fantastic. Um, but if people are cleaning out their cupboards, what are some things they need to look out for? And another part of this question I kind of want to throw out to you. Um, if I were to spend $100 at the grocery store, or if I were to donate $100 to the food bank, which would go, like, which would be able to go further helping people? So the first one is absolutely, um, I clean out my cupboards um, when I know that, especially if, um, you know, somebody has liked something in my house for a while and their tastes change, but I bought 16 of those on sale and they're in my pantry. Yeah. And I donate that stuff to the food bank. Um, I giggled when you said that because we have had some interesting pieces come into the food bank and I refer to them as pieces because really they're more archival than food. <laughs> dedicated to that on television actually and I've often wondered if we should send some of our stuff to her um the first year I was here I sorted a box of Kraft pasta salad mix which they still make today from January of 1980 so, I know it was spectacular spectacular um so anyways that <laughs> I'd just like to clarify if, if it's from the 80s the 90s no, thank you. Um, we do appreciate the kindness and the thought behind that donation. And while lots of food may be consumable past its um, best before date, I'm not willing to chance that when we're talking decades. So, um, so cleaning out your pantry is fine. But one of the things we could do more often than we don't, when you change the batteries in your smoke detector, wouldn't it be fun if you went down to your pantry and looked at some of the food that you had down there that you thought you were going to, you know, we went to the grocery store, we were going to buy it because we were going to do something with that, including the jar of preserved lemons that I have in my shelf downstairs. I'm saying I'm not immune to this sort of thing. <laughs> um, but it would be great if you looked at that food, rotated it and take what you didn't need with still with best before dates within the year and brought it to the food bank. Any food uh, typically that has a best before date um, back one year after that, we can't really use it. So if, if we have a best before date of now, back one year, we put it on something called the honor counter. It has no points attached to it. People can take it, but it's their choice to take it instead of us giving us them food that's been expired. That's the dignity issue again. You don't want to feel like you are less than somebody else and you get the cast offs of somebody. Um, so uh, that's important. Um, and, and we we have fun with odd things as well, right? Like we currently have haggis because who doesn't need a good couple of cans of haggis? Um, kangaroo jerky, really? Uh, it's a big seller, not really. Uh, so it's, so th those kinds of things, um, they're, they're fun to have, it's interesting and that sort of thing, but they're not as nutritionally valuable perhaps as, as some of the other things that you could buy. So um, from the $100 perspective that you talked about, um, $100 that you purchase is fantastic. But if we were to purchase them, we can get a better price on that product 
And we can make sure that based on our inventory right now, we're getting the things that would be most valuable. So right now we need school snacks, right? Because kids are going to go back to school um, and it is schools, lunches have changed since we were kids, right? It's not peanut butter sandwiches, throw something into a bag and hope for the best, right? Lunches are scrutinized now for their sugar content, for their, um, for what's in there, for not having any kind of peanuts and, and peanut butter. A lot of those options in lunches are pretty expensive. So, so when you give me that $100 um, that I'm able to say, I know that September is coming two weeks down the road and I'm going to have some some very distraught moms if, if I can't make sure that those pieces are in the food bank. Whereas my priorities might be different at Christmas time. At Christmas time, I may say um, that we provide turkeys for everybody who comes through the uh, turkeys, hams, as well as vegetarian options, because we decided a couple of years ago from a dignity perspective that if you were vegetarian, you shouldn't miss out on a Christmas dinner because you don't eat a turkey and you don't eat a ham. The same reason why we provide rice milk if you're lactose intolerant. Just because your kids can't have dairy doesn't mean you should miss out on that. And we are now moving into um, ethnically diverse foods to make sure that people who are indigenous, people who are of uh, South, Asian, uh, South Asian heritage, um, uh, people who have uh, restrictive celiac disease, that they have the same access to the kinds of foods that they need. So that's what I can do with $100. I can make it stretch further and I can make it meet the needs of, of what we're experiencing right now. So that's, a, that's very important. Thank you. And please, please, no more haggis. No, no. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't even know what is Haggis. I've I've obviously never tried it before. It's, it's you can pick some up at the food bank if you're you looking at trying it. Um, it is the lining of a sheep's stomach, stuffed with oatmeal and um, uh, meats and that sort of thing, and then um, yeah, boiled or baked as as the case may be. And then I'm sure, some people like it, but that just doesn't sound delicious to me. <laughs> so I've had haggis, I've had blood pudding, I've I've had all of those things. Um, when I had uh, the pleasure of uh, seeing a friend over um, in Wales, and it's not bad, um, but it's kind of like uh, poutine is here, right? We make it here. It's our gig, right? It's what we do. Canned haggis, eh. <laughs> it's much different. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the there's, origins there's, of where it came from. So just there's like, good haggis, there's good. bad haggis, there's good poutine, and there's bad poutine. Absolutely. It's just like that. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's someone out there right now who's not very happy because we're throwing haggis under the bus. I've oh. had it. It's delicious when it's good. <laughs> when it's bad, it's terrible. Just that like a lot sense. of things, like chicken. You can have yes. great chicken and the dry, you can chew on sawdust chicken we've been to those dinner parties and those conferences it's not pretty people the suffering so just kidding so heather i happen to know that there's someone on this panel that has about a million zucchinis in their garden oh, yes. and i have explosion of watermelon in my garden this year that we didn't even plant it was from a one plant so um, I also know you guys have a garden and we talk a lot about gardening in mm -hmm. our, in our po podcast as well. So if we have excessive zucchinis, mm -hmm. will the food bank take them? We will. 
So there's a caveat to the zucchini because, yeah, you're laughing because we parked our cars this time of the year because nobody wants to find the zucchini that's the same size as a small child in the back seat. Okay, we've done it before. We're not, okay, we're just, hi, I'm Heather Hayes. I have dropped off zucchinis the size of small children. So, um, yes, we love fresh produce. Absolutely. Anything that you have in your garden is great. It is sometimes a little more difficult for us to use um, the larger zucchinis because as we all know, um, zucchini requires processing. So if you are a single person, A, you don't have the freezer space for something like that. If you are living in a motel or a rooming house, there simply isn't the capacity to do anything with zucchini at all. Um, and you also have to have um, sort of all of the packaging that re that requires, right? Because it, it costs things, just like we all know that when you can, it costs for the jars, uh, for the sealers, you know, all of those kinds of things. So yes, we can use it all. Please feel free to drop it off. We love it. Um, and anybody can grow a row in their garden and give us the produce from it. We absolutely love it. So the exciting thing that's coming up just now, and you'll be, you guys will be the very first people to hear about this, is that we have a new partnership. So we have been working at getting a commercial kitchen up and running at the food bank, which is very, very exciting. Um, so I feel um, of cold storage as much as I feel about um, fire suppression systems, love them. So um, I know used to be shoes, now it's fire suppression systems and cold storage. Um, so we have partnered with Be Social. And Be Social is um, the partnership between Community Living Dufferin, Dufferin Child and Family Services, um, and FTP. And it provides employment for individuals um, who have employment barriers. Um, so Phil, you'll all know Phil Dwar from um, uh, Soul Life. Uh, Phil uh, helps organize Be Social uh, through this. He's actually going to be coming to our kitchen. I know we got him. Anyways, very, very sudden, very sudden. Anyways, <laughs> Phil's coming. It's going to be fabulous. Uh, so he's coming to the kitchen um, and he's going to oversee um, this partnership with Be Social. And we are going to employ people with employment barriers. So they'll do the work in the kitchen. Phil will do our processes. He'll do our recipes, which is super fun um, and that sort of thing and we're going to try this out for a year as a pilot project so we had originally advertised for a community kitchen coordinator the wages that we had set aside for that will go to pay the people with employment barriers 14.25 an hour so a, a, a close to a living wage um, in the kitchen and we get the expertise of phil and the great partnerships between community living duffer and duffer child and family services and family transition place it's just it, it is so exciting. We hope to have that up and running um, by September. Although I've been saying this for many weeks now because the fire suppression system is taking a bit to get installed, but yes, hopefully by September. So pretty awesome. All of a sudden. That is so exciting because, you so know, exciting. barriers to housing, rent, food mm -hmm. is a lack of a job. And yes. if you suffer from, you know, I'm thinking mental illness, or if you had issues in the past, what a great opportunity to give someone a leg up. So you're not just the food bank. You are, mm -hmm. you're the community hub. I love it. We're open. I yeah, love it. We, yeah it, it is pretty darn exciting here. Um, it, we've got lots of great ideas coming up and lots of great partnerships. Um, uh, food and Farming Alliance, the, the Headwaters Food and Farming Alliance. We partner with them. 
um, for their boxes that are delivered. Um, and then we'll also have the um, Guelph Children's Foundation coming back in and they'll be um, putting together parcels for families um, who might not have access to the school nutrition programs because the schools won't be letting volunteers back into the schools um, again. And, you know, I understand why that's happening and that sort of thing. So yeah, we do partner a lot um, here at the food bank. We really enjoy that. And we think that it makes us stronger and better. And um, I, I'm just going to, because you brought it up, I'm going to kind of run off script here, but um, I've talked to some people and they're very much in the mind of you take a canned good, you take a box of craft dinner, that's what you donate to the food bank. But right. you've brought up things like fresh vegetables, kitchens, milk, meats. Those are not things that some people may typically think of as things to donate to the food bank. Why have you chosen to go down this route and like how can people support you more and i love the fact that i saw a picture of an mg on social media today with <laughs> obscene amounts of corn in the back um so that's so you that don't know this me. but they just walked into the food bank that's um willie brown and colleen egan i don't know what they're driving right now but they've just come in they're such dedicated volunteers they work way too hard for us um, and they're here getting ready for um, more things that we're doing here. We're moving some shelving around this week and that sort of thing. So yeah, they just walked in to do that. Um, and they're just amazing volunteers. Willie is our volunteer warehouse um, uh, coordinator in the back there. Um, and Colleen manages the shopping process that we have up here. So pretty awesome. So when it comes to perishable foods, 50% of what we give out to people is perishable foods. That's really, really important because when we poll and survey clients, which we do on a regular basis to understand what they need from us, um, the three things that, that, that hit the top of the list are milk and eggs, fresh fruits and vegetables, and proteins. You can buy almost any non-perishable at a dollar store for a much better price than you can at a grocery store, although the grocery stores support us and are, are fabulous partners, um, but you can get that stuff there. Buying the perishable stuff is much harder to get, and that's what keeps us alive. Again, another myth, People don't understand what to eat. Not true. Everybody's gone through school. Everybody has had the Canada's health food guide drilled into them. They get it. They can't afford it. And if you had a choice between a $4 pizza in a grocery store and $4 worth of oregano, you're taking the $4 pizza because it'll fill tummies and you know that they will eat it. So sometimes there's some shaming that happens at grocery stores when you look at people's carts. You may not understand the circumstances of, of where they live. The other thing that we have noticed here at the food bank is, um, and, and this has come with the shopping model, which is canned pasta. You know, nobody, nobody would argue that canned pasta is nutritional, not any of us. Um, but if you are homeless, it will fill a tummy and it will not kill you. And well, eventually the sodium will probably take you down, but, um, the, it will, it's, it's, it's food safe is what I'm trying to say. And we've had individuals who live in the back of their car and heat that up with a blowtorch, right? Like that's, that's an accessible food for some people, not the best, but accessible. Um, so fresh and perishable foods, very important to us. Um, the other thing that people don't think about when they think about food banks is name a recipe, an entree that you make without a fat. Start thinking in your head about a, a recipe you make for your family that does not start with a fat. Yeah, and it's the oils, like the olive oil, avocado oil, they cost more than 
most or other items, right? Yeah. Or, or margarine or butter, or even like canola oil, whatever that we don't get that stuff here. And that's, that's really important. Um, those one liter bottles of oil, very important to our clients. The other thing is spices. Again, the pizza versus the oregano. Um, so we have lots of chickpeas here and we have lentils and, and we have lots of raw ingredients to do things with. But if you can't, if you don't have the oils and you don't have the spices, even basic things like salt and pepper, not happening. Um, back to the zucchini, um, there will be people on this call that they just need to make zucchini bread. That's what they need to do. Again, they're not trying hard enough. So in order to make zucchini bread, you have to have a house that you're not worried about how much hydro that's gonna cost you to turn the oven on. You have to have moved um, with all of your belongings to have those pans to make it. And then you have to have eggs and sugar and flour and zucchini. And you're probably throwing out either nuts or chocolate chips in there because frankly, zucchini on its own is gross. Okay, I've just said it. I've talked about oh, a truth here. Okay, anyways, um, except for the lovely lady at the seniors building who stuffed it with meat and baked it in tomato sauce for us one day, that was delicious. That I could get behind. But um, so uh, when you think about all of that, that's what people don't think about, right? The same as um, where do people store things, store groceries? If you live in a motel and you have a bar fridge, how much can I give you to take home and make? If you cook with a kettle, we have one person, who only cooks with a kettle. They can boil corn in a kettle, which I never knew that you could do. Extremely resourceful people access the food bank. So I think that's something that we could change the focus to um, sometimes. So we need the proteins, we need the milk and eggs. Milk's super important. And um, we actually purchase a lot of it every month. Um, hundreds of liters actually to make sure that kids get enough. Right now, kids are, are getting four liters per kid, not enough because we all know four liters um, is like a couple of days for some kids in our neck of the woods. It's that that's what you get a month, right? Still not enough, but better than what it was. Um, but yeah, it's those finer details that I think if you thought about the processes behind how we cook and how we shop, um, we might think differently about how hard people are working when they come to the food bank. Yeah. So switching over to kids, we talked a little mm -hmm. bit about kids um, and I have a son who's in elementary school um, and I know even before the pandemic, it was all on our minds, it comes from for food, especially, um, but we're concerned how kids um, who've experienced difficulty during the pandemic or just, just about kids who've experienced difficulty uh, during the pandemic. So according to the website, Canada Without Poverty, more mm -hmm. than one in seven children live in poverty. So can you share with our, our listeners what you see with regards to children and how the food bank is geared towards helping those kids specifically? So we've partnered with um, the Guelph Children's Foundation to make sure that when the breakfast programs and the lunch programs were taken out of the schools, that we could get that food to people. And so um, our food manager works with them. The food is delivered here, our volunteers pack it, um, and then boxes are delivered by their volunteers twice a month um, out to families. So that was one way that we helped out there. At the beginning of the pandemic, 
We also knew how important it was to get nutritious foods out to kids. So we doubled up our kids' own bags. So kids' own are um, yogurts, uh, cheese strings, apples, oranges, um, when we have them, pears, uh, kiwis, that sort of thing, as well as um, either a cucumber or a bag of carrots um, per family. Um, so those bags go out to kids um, because we know that um, a mind that is fed well is a mind that can learn. It's a mind that can self-regulate, okay? We're adults and occasionally somebody has to remind me to eat because I'm getting really nasty right now. It's time to take that down a bit, Hez. <laughs> so small people, they don't have that, that whole regulation thing. Um, and moms here often give their extra food to their kids, right? So they themselves don't look like they're in optimal health either because they're giving things away to their kids. Um, so we try to do lots of that. We, in the, in the past, when kids have been in the building, they haven't been here for quite some time, but when they have been in the building, um, if there's going to be a meltdown, it's typically because they're hungry. So we offer cheese strings in the lobby and we offer yogurts, which is a little harder to do right now because of the pandemic. Um, but that's what keeps, proteins are what keeps kids going as well as fre fresh fruits and vegetables. So we've made a real point to increase our milk allotment to make sure that we do double up the kids zone. Um, we were really lucky this year that Buddy from Home Hardware, um, and everybody knows Buddy and Melody, um, he stepped up and paid for kids zone uh, for half the year. And that was a $10,000 commitment on his part. So that, that was a huge thing for him to do and, and Melody. So yes, we work really hard to make sure that it gets out there, but kids are probably having a really tough, not probably, they are having a really tough time because the resources aren't there for them anymore. And even the social piece, I don't know, I often thought, so we're lucky enough to live in this area where kids can kind of be outside. I couldn't have imagined raising kids during a pandemic in a condo in Toronto. That is not for the faint of heart. So. Yeah. So I'm just, you, you brought up, you talk about milk a lot. What is your, what would you spend a month on milk? Just so like we can get an idea on on where we, where it would be? Um, so I would spend, four, I could spend six to $800 a month on milk just for kids. Um, and then from there, I factor in kids zone, which would be $1,500 a month for kids zone. Uh, the seniors market where we take, uh, three prepared meals out to them, sometimes as much as six, plus fresh fruits and vegetables, plus milk and eggs. And we deliver those around the county on a monthly basis. Um, that program, I think is probably running us about $2,000, $2,500 a month. Uh, and then there's all the purchasing of the fresh fruits and vegetables when they're not in season. And we specialize in grandmothers here. So we do shop on, on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So we apologize now for the seniors discount as we roll through the till with a ton of stuff. Um, and gosh, help you if there's a sale on something. You see that red shirt in the line? Pick another line. Go over there. Okay. Um, anyways, so, um, so we do do a lot of purchasing of that um, when they're not in season. Prior to the pandemic, we purchased everything local. I'm a huge supporter of local. Because of the pandemic, um, there wasn't the stock to purchase. So um, we did actually have to go with a large supplier. Um, and 
there will be some people that are thanking us for the lineups at the grocery stores not being there. So, um, yeah. So like a thousand dollars a month on milk for you guys is not unheard of. No, no, it's not. No. Um, because we need to, so we make sure that, that all adults have milk, but that kids have access to more milk. And again, it is not enough. It is a drop in the bucket. If we all think about how much our kids drink or uh, like us personally, I have milk every morning on my shredded wheat and coffee, milk on shredded wheat. That's how head rolls in the morning and don't disturb that routine. Thank you very much. Um, So milk is, milk is important to lots of people's days. I think it's just a great opportunity for us to put a dollar figure on one specific mm-hmm. ingredient. Yeah. Um, and I think hopefully our listeners can, can see that and it can give them a better understanding of how important the food bank is and how important it is for you guys um, maybe to go a little bit further with a financial donation than you would be able to with uh, a tangible food donation because you do have those mm-hmm. needs, but thankfully you're able to connect and yes. get it at a better price. So yeah. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I have a really odd question and my, sure. my kids hate it when I do this. I'm a huge animal lover, huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dogs are everything to me. And I will often buy dog food to donate to the food bank. And let me just, right. you know, it's not being, mm-hmm. it's not being cruel, no. but I was camping once and there were some obvious homeless people and we had extra food because we were leaving. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, do you want this? And they're like, do you have any dog food? that was their only concern right how weird or how odd or is this something that people should even think about is feeding their animals so we do we do have dog food cat food uh sometimes we have cat litter that's a hot commodity um and so those are those are things that we have here on a regular basis at the food bank because um for some people like you your pets are everything. If you are um, a single person and you've got a little dog or a little cat, that's your, that's your world. Um, I have a absolutely insane Labrador uh, or Labradoodle um, who eats other dogs, which is bad, but I love him to death. I adopted him a couple of years ago and he, we knew we had problems, but we'd do anything for him, right? It's the same here. And what about those families whose mom and dad have been laid off because of the pandemic, um, who have become critical ill or something like that? Are you going to look at your children and say, Mr. Fluffy has to go because we can't afford to feed them? And and that's big here at the food bank. So um, we have a lovely volunteer by the name of Barb who uh, focuses on pet food. That's all she does. It's her area. And she takes that very seriously. All the dog food is labeled when you get it as to what kind it is. Um, so yeah, that's really important here at the food bank because, because pets can be a family to us as much as anybody else can. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm going to wind up Jess. you look like you have another question. So I'm going to stop. No, I just want to say Heather, like, I thank you so much for, for talking with us today, because I think you, you, Sean, 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 can't even speak, um, so much light, on areas of the food bank that I think a lot of people just didn't even know existed. Um, Cause I think someone who has never used a food bank or someone who, you know, just doesn't know too much about the food bank. They think of those non-perishables. Like when you're 
going to a dance and it's like, oh, bring an item for the food bank and you open up your cupboard and you bring that can of black beans that's been sitting there for three months. Um, instead of the nutritious food that we all eat, you know, mm -hmm. like if, if you, you need your milk, you need your eggs, you need your bread. And those are just things that people don't think about, let alone toilet paper or shampoo. Um, so yeah. that just thanks so much for, for kind of. And, and all that toilet paper that. that's sitting in your basement that everybody hoarded, give it to us. <laughs> I was, I was out looking for houses and we went into a house. The entire basement was filled with toilet paper. I almost wanted to leave a sticky note with my business card. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're absolutely right. It's um, we appreciate all donations. They're all very valuable. They all do different things for us. Um, and we appreciate that. Uh, we once had a lad uh, during a food drive where they walked around and somebody knocked on the door, said, Oh yeah, it's a food drive. And he's like, Hmm, I don't Oh, And he went and he cleared out the pantry of all the food he didn't like that his mother kept down there. And he just gave it all away to us. <laughs> that's a way to solve a problem right there um so yeah we we do appreciate that the donations are, are are very much appreciated but a more focused approach on how you donate to the food bank um can be helpful as well um we're always asked what do people need it's no different than your shopping cart what you buy for your family is what we need here because you don't just buy canned goods you don't walk down three aisles of the grocery store you start at this end and you work your way all the way around, right? The outside and then the middle, and then you come back out again. So everything in your cart are the same things that our people need. And do you find that social media has really helped you with getting the word out on what you guys need? Uh, absolutely. We are so thankful that we have uh, Sarah Clark from uh, Dufferin Media who uh, supports us. Um, I think you know her. She's, uh, she's lovely. And um, she has been donating her uh, time to us for as many years as I've been here at the food bank. Um, so social media plays a huge part. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, um, because that's how people communicate these days, right? It's uh, a little, a little not as comfortable for somebody my age, um, but for 20, 30, 40s, um, that's their gig, right? And that's how they share information. So it is really important. Before we wrap up, can you give a shout out to some uh, people, uh, your volunteers? I know you've mentioned, but can you give a shout out to some people that you want to acknowledge who, you know, have have helped the food bank through its time? So many of them. Um, I could I could name tons of them. We've got uh, we're so lucky to have a, a board president like uh, Charles McCabe. Uh, people will know him through Rotary. Uh, we've got Trevor Lewis, uh, who's on our board, but also has put in literally thousands of hours here at the food bank. Uh, he used to be the uh, county engineer um, and, and his skill set has, has been crazy. I have a really, really strong admin team, which are all made up of volunteers. Um, we've got Agnes Wolf and we've got Claudette. Uh, I'm not going to say her name right, Richard. So sorry, Claudette, my deepest apologies. Um, and um, We've all made that mistake with Claudette's name. Awesome. Okay. So we all know who Claudette is. Um, we've got Deanne Mount who sits on that team. We've got Andrea uh, Thomas who sits there. We've got Kathy Wilson. We've got um, Liam Jotham. Sorry, his name just escaped me there for a second. Um, we've got Colleen uh, Egan who sits on that as well. Uh, Danelle Gear. Um, so those are that's sort of our admin team, Dan LeCoute. 
And then we've got an amazing group of volunteers out in the back. Uh, we've got uh, Charlie and Dawn uh, who, are, who have been there since the very beginning. We've got Jim and Leslie, who I think are connected to you guys. Uh, Graham, who do an amazing job for us. Um, we've got uh, Pat and Dave Harms, uh, who you guys are familiar with. We're really sad that Dave's not here with us right now. Um, we've got some great new volunteers. We've got uh, Kaylin Davidson uh, from Davidson Electric, their daughter, just a superstar. Um, we have, who else do we have? I could just rhyme them off. I could keep going and going and going. Um, it, we're just, I know it feels badly when I'm asked to name everybody because everybody plays a part here at the food bank. Um, Imelda Hart, who does our, um, uh, our hygiene here, Bernadette Hardacre, who does our shopping for us. Um, Sue Orr, who, who does all kinds of admin stuff in the background. And, and when the uh, pandemic's over, she'll be back in. Joyce McKay and Barry McKay, who do like incredible amount of stuff for us. Deb Hutchison, uh, Philomena Logo. Like it just goes on and on. I could just like rhyme them all off. Um, they're just superstars and they make this place home. We, we simply couldn't do it without them. I often say I could get hit by a bus tomorrow because I'm Scottish. We never win the lottery. We always get taken out by the bus first. Um, so I could get hit by a bus and they'd run this place just fine. So um, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, it helps me. I love to, to be able to compliment each and every one of them on what they do here at the food bank. Heather, I'm going to speak on behalf of Jess and Dave that uh, thank your village from the bottom of our hearts. Yes. Um, because we are so, like I've mentioned, we're so passionate about our community and helping others and lifting others up. And Dave's mentioned it, and I know that Jess has thought the same, dignity. I'm mm -hmm. going to leave here tonight dignifying people in a multitude of ways um, I can't thank you for educating me. I thought I knew lots, but I knew a drop. Um, so thank you. Uh, truly, this has been an enlightening experience. We're going to attach, well, Jess is because of her magic fingers, is going to attach <laughs> links to, um, you know, some some donors and stuff as well. And <laughs> I'm, I'm a, a little bit of a political, I, I like political stuff, but um, I think that we should probably also send this to our MPs as well. Um, so that they can um, get a view of the right that Canadians are entitled to is food security. Yep. So thank you again from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you so much, guys, for the opportunity. This is pretty awesome. Um, you know, I can talk. Gosh, loves us. I can. Heather can talk. Put her in front of the camera. She's good to go. Uh, but it, it's because of how I feel about what we do here and about the incredible volunteers, the Willie and Colleen's who are standing at the doorway right now. And I turn it, da, da, da. Where is the Willie and Colleen's? Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> They're going <So>. home now. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, yeah, it's because of them, right? And, and the, so that's why we rock it here is because of the community, because of the um, volunteers, because of the donors, and because of you guys. Um, if you guys didn't put a spotlight on this, if you guys didn't have your run that focused on food, because I know that you don't just support the food bank. I know you support Shelburne. I know you support the breakfast programs. I know you support all kinds of agencies in our area. And, um, and I also know quietly behind the scenes, when somebody needs something like me, I can quietly call. Um, I may not want to put that in the thing, but you guys kill it and you live you live your truth. And I think that's really important. Uh, we all do it in different ways. 
And so I appreciate what you guys do for us and for our community, because we are better for having you in it. So thank you. Thank you for watching and listening to this week's episode of the Food and Fitness Podcast. Join us next week when the host of the Food and Fitness Podcast reflect on what changes we have made or are making or intend to make in the future when it comes to food insecurity.